Now, this morning, folks, have we got the PowerPoint up? That would be awesome. I'm going to speak to you and a non-anxious presence is the title we've got. It's ringing a little bit up here. I'm not sure why. That's better. No? I'll keep going. A non-anxious presence. Now, are there any teachers here who attended the Christian Schools Association conference just recently? Naria one. Okay, well, that's all right. I went. <laughs> Again, I teach. I don't know if you had the same speakers as we had. Um, but in any case, this word, uh, this sentence, a non-anxious presence was spoken many times. And it really inspired me. And, and some of the things that were said, I've actually going to quote, um, inspired me to just talk about this whole concept, a non-anxious presence. I'm just going to read a couple of quotes from one of the speakers. His name was Mag Max Jagernathan. World tensions, anxiety and uncertainty, confusion and polarisation, hostility and vitriol. Does any of that sound familiar? We are in a place where we're having to define right and wrong for ourselves from a marketplace of ideas that is chaotic. Does that sound familiar? In the midst, there is a God who is willing to calm the storm. The Christian narrative doesn't just offer calm in the storm, but to be calm in the midst of the storm. Well, we know that. I mean, we don't have to, we don't have to go very far. We, we've got terrible things going on in Gaza at the moment. We all know that. The Ukraine... And they're the ones that we're focused on because it's happening all over the place. But even in our own community, there's unrest, you know, even sparked from that. We know that the world has earthquakes popping around. Um, we had uh, one, in three this year, major ones, one in Turkey, one in Libya, I think, and one in Afghanistan, major earthquakes with major loss of life. There is anxiety. There is uncertainty. There's certainly confusion and polarisation and along with it, hostility and vitriol. It's a bit of a worry, folks. But let's have a look at the next slide. Calm in the midst of the storm. Let me read a scripture. Let me read a scripture. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. It's headed, Jesus calms the storm. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also some other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, folks, we know who he is. He is Jesus Christ, our saviour. Jesus was not afraid in this boat. He was not anxious. The thing was, the disciples, they were familiar with the water, right? They're fishermen, professional fishermen. They're familiar with storms and they were freaking out at maximum speed. Jesus was asleep on a cushion. 
I'm glad he had the cushion along. He wasn't afraid. He knew he had a purpose. And this storm was not it. He was not going to go down in the storm, so why stress? The thing that the disciples missed, and perhaps sometimes we miss, is if you're in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus' boat is going on a purpose, doesn't matter what the storms are going around about, you're in his boat. That that boat's not going down because Jesus has a purpose. Are we in Jesus' boat? Does it sometimes feel like Jesus is asleep on a cushion? Do you ever think you're in the disciples' shoes, running around screaming and panic? Anybody? Come on, people. Is there anybody here that sometimes feels like, Jesus is asleep on the cushion, what are you doing? Are you in his boat? Don't panic. His boat is going, uh, going for his purpose. It's healing and deliverance. Make sure, make sure, folks, that you don't jump out of his boat. Now, I've heard this saying, the next slide, please. I've heard this saying, these are really dark times. Has anybody ever heard that? Has anybody ever said it? (laughs) I've put there under there, really? Has anybody here ever studied history? History studiers, please, hands. Right, okay. Have there been some dark times before? Have there been slightly worse than what we've got going on now? Well, at least where we live. Right, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to speak for folks in certain places in the world, certainly, you know. But is this the darkest period in history? Because at least w- when there is um, injustice going on in other parts of the world, the rest of the world is sort of crying out, what are you doing, you know? But there have been times in history where nobody, nobody cared about justice. Nobody cared about doing right. Nobody would come to the defence of anybody because, you know, why? I want to just... Uh, You've got, I've got the scripture up there, Jeremiah 29. Now, we often quote the old um, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to do good and not bad, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. We, we have it above the piano in um, embroidery. But the context of that scripture is more important. You know what the context is? They were in deep yogurt. The Babylonians had come through Israel. They had, they had come in and brutally sacked the land. They had killed people. They had smashed, you know, women and children. They had castrated a whole lot of fellas, and I've heard it described how it was done, and I'm thinking, ooh, that couldn't have been pleasant. Um, they went, now get this, they went into the temple and into the Holy of Holies where the, the Jewish people had believed that if anybody went in there, they would be struck down. But they just marched right on in there, stole the temple furniture and cleared off and God was asleep on a cushion. And they took, these, they took a whole stack of these um, Israelites into Babylon, into exile. And there was a prophet running around saying, oh, you know, the Lord's going to send you back in two years. And Jeremiah comes and says, ah, 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 that is false. He said, you are here. The hearts of my people have grown cold and I have allowed them. Let me read the scripture. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry 
Have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Here we are. In the worst, it's so dark. Instead of complaining about how dreadful things are, this is a quote from that conference I went to, look for the opportunities to love, to be a non-anxious presence in the midst of chaos, to radiate the hope, peace and joy of the Lord. Now this morning, we've already sung about joy. We've already sung about peace. We've already sung about blessing. Hey, people, is that stuff true? Has God given you that hope or has he given you that resource of hope, joy and peace? Do we have access to it? Yes, we do. Here we are. As it says in Jeremiah, pray for the peace of your city. Care for this culture. Be the non-anxious presence. This is from Dr. Natasha Moore. Be the non-anxious presence. Look at the world through the hopeful and joyful lens of opportunity. That's a great quote. She also said, reframe the moments by reframing your thinking. She said, people are thirsty. We know where living water is to be found. Culture is a garden to be guarded. Invest in and seek the good of this culture we live in. Don't withdraw and nitpick, but care for it. And this is taken from the concepts of what Jeremiah said that the Lord had told the Israelites to do in Babylon, to care for their culture. Now, let's have a look at this next slide. I'm very proud of this. <laughs> I made this graphic myself. <laughs> All of those who do Canvas said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Anyways, what can you do? You do the best you can. Oh, dear. I know. It's awful. Um, <laughs> slightly anxious. Okay, so what we got going on here, what I've been talking about and alluding to is culture wars versus culture care. So now here in this graphic, the issue. Now, what is the issue? I'm not going to say what the issue is. I, when I first did this, I wrote down issues, issues where there are lines of division. And at that time, there were 22. So if you think you know what I'm talking about, well, that and much, 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 much more. Lines of division. Has anybody noticed them roundabout? The issue, whatever the issue is. Up on the top left, you'll have aggressive opposition. On the bottom right, you'll have aggressive acceptance. Up on the top right, you've got sympathetic confusion. That's the person that goes, oh dear, oh, oh, I see that and I see that. Oh golly, I don't know which way to go now. Because, because the catch cry is, it's, you're either for us or against us. Make a choice. Has anybody felt that pressure? And you've got the folks down the bottom. It says, don't know, don't care. When's the footy on? <laughs> oh, cricket, I'm sorry, we're in the wrong season. Um, it's called indifferent ignorance. There you have it, you've got the issue. <clears throat> now, the very important thing um, is that wherever you have an issue, nine times out of ten, there is pain, 
brokenness, injustice. It's very, very real. The issue is always very real. The battleground in the middle, this is what worries me. This is what we see way too much of. And people who merrily dance in there, ready to do battle, and there's others who get dragged into it because, you know, they don't want to be seen as, you know, not caring. The issue is always important. Now, in this current post-Christian setting, and when I say post-Christian, that is a, a term that is being coined by a lot of Christian commentators at the moment. We went through the modern era, we went through the post-modern era, they are now saying we're in the post-Christian era, where Christianity is no longer the dominant influence in our Western society. Because prior to that, even in the post-modern era, when there was a whole lot of other ideas and ideologies coming up, in the postmodern era, Christianity was one. And it still had quite a dominant influence. Now we're, we're coming into a place where Christianity's voice is no longer, it's not only the, the voice they don't go to, it's the one they look at with suspicion. All right? And that's why they're saying we're in the post-Christian era. I don't think it's, I don't think, actually I think that's quite exciting, folks. How do you feel? Anybody? Uh, why do I think it's exciting? Because we had the pre-Christian era when Jesus was toting around. The Christian church hadn't even come up yet. Politics, and influence in the political world was just not there. And what was happening with the church? It was exploding. You know, that, was, that wasn't a trick question. That was a definitely, you know. <laughs> it was all happening, people. It was all happening at a great rate. Um, where we have become very, very comfortable because we've had political power and political influence, what unfortunately I've seen happening um, is concerned Christians have either recent times been taking either the victim position, like, oh, I'm being persecuted, oh, you know, or they've been taking the aggressive stance. We've got to stand up for our rights, okay? Now, why that troubles me, why that troubles me is because if I look at Jesus Christ in Judea, at the, you know, when he was alive, and the disciples, Jesus, I never, ever spoke against Rome. Rome was an aggressive, brutal, unjust, colonial power in the land of Judea. Jesus was of the um, indigenous people, if you like, and they were very, very, being treated very badly. And you will know, you will know from your church history that there were four Christian sects, sects, not Christian, I'm sorry, four Jewish sects that, that were there. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. You would have heard of the Zealots before. Simon was a Zealot. The Zealots were a political, violent group who thought they were going to sort out the injustices of Rome by use of violence. Okay? Do we see any of this reflecting, beginning to reflect in the thinking? But you see, what did Jesus do? You read in John chapter 5, John 6, 15, Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000, and it says there that they recognised he was the one that was to come. And it says they tried to make him king by force, and he withdrew from them. He was not interested in getting into this political, violent thing that was going to sort Rome out. He had bigger fish to fry, people. He was interested in the hearts and the souls of people. Okay. 
So when I see this culture war business going on and when Christians get involved with it, I get concerned because Christ never modelled us as a victim and he didn't model as an aggressor. He was always the non-anxious presence marching right into the middle of where he wasn't supposed to be and right into the middle of where things were tense. And he wasn't afraid. He was always a non-anxious presence because he knew what his purpose was. He healed a servant of Rome. He encouraged his disciples to pay taxes to Caesar, to Rome. He never criticised Rome. And guess what? The Romans saw this and they saw how Jesus acted. And one Roman said, surely this man was the son of God because they could see it. So too, in our somewhat chaotic Western culture, here we are, Christian Christianity is no longer one of many religions and ideologies in the marketplace, but it is now being marked as harmful and dangerous. Of course, it will be offensive. It's like, you know, whatever. Um, And Christianity is now more in the margins than it has been previously. But this, like I said, this is a time when we can begin to view with the hopeful lens of hopeful and joyful lens of opportunity we still know who the living water is we still know who the savior is right right the thing about this um, image here up in the top right hand corner i've got there in the yellow heart of god's love now you and i both know if there is an issue um there's gonna be no healing until the issue and the heart of God's love interface, right? And what I want to encourage us is, or what I suggest here, may I suggest that there is no place for God's heart of healing to work in that space of conflict, argument and violence. How then? The issue and the issues are still present. We've got new battle lines being drawn every other week. Is that true? They're being drawn constantly. So what are we going to do? Let's look at the next slide, the scripture. The ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5. I'm just going to read that for you. It's an exciting scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, and through God, as as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, But I love the whole thing. We've been given the message of reconciliation. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Be reconciled. How is that? What does that mean? I've just written a few points down here. Those around us who might have an opposing political or an opposing worldview are not our enemy. They are loved children of God. They have an inherent value given to them by him. So, what do we hear when we stop and we listen and incline our ear to them? Do we hear their pain? Do we hear their fear? 
Or do we think it's our job to correct all of their worldview or doctrinal misunderstandings? Because sometimes I get the feeling that perhaps I am the fount of all knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> I think Pastor Nick would like to <coughs> disagree. He'll sort, he'll sort me out later, it's okay. Um, <laughs> do we know it all or is there more to understand, especially by coming to know these people that we have perhaps seen as the enemy? Number two, can we learn from listening? Can we begin to understand or even better, can we empathise if we take time to know how others are experiencing life and pain and injustice? To empathise, folks, is not necessarily to endorse if that is a great fear of yours. Empathy, empathy is not endorsement, but put that aside. Number three, is the message of Christ get this, is the message of Christ strong enough to stand firm and unmoved in the midst of doubt, pain and unbelief? This is not a trick question. The message, well, let me say it quite plainly in case you're not sure, those of you at the back, the message of Christ is strong enough to stand firm and unmoved in the midst of doubt, pain and unbelief. It is. There is no room. This is a quote, I believe, I heard it from Natasha Moore, but I believe it was originally from John Dixon, quotes where quotes are due. Um, there is no room you can walk into where Jesus is not Lord. Now that's one to put above your piano, uh, embroider it today. Let me say it again, there is no room you can walk into where Jesus is not Lord. Can we relate to the person whose belief or doctrine, or worldview is different from my own. Can we? Well, we haven't had a lot of practice, but we could give it a fair crack. What do you think? One of the things I think would be better would be not running in there espousing everything that I believe at the start. I know what I believe. I don't have to tell everybody. Anyway, we'll get on to that in a minute, because on Christ the solid rock I stand. Let's have a look at the next slide. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Now, that saying, I believe, was attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I'd been saying it for a long while. I knew somebody had said it, and somebody said, oh, Francis of Assisi said that. I said, oh, awesome, good. All right, so, <laughs> if necessary, use words. It's not always necessary. Is there a move away from making continual statements about what I believe in and what I approve of and what I don't approve of? Does it really matter? A move perhaps towards seeing all people, no matter how different they are to you, as people of inherent value, image bearers, created by God and loved by God, to the point that Jesus died on, to, on the cross for them. So how do we show the love of God without saying it explicitly? Well, there, it's true. There are hundreds of different ideologies, and some are based on different religions, and some are just on different worldviews. Some are really scary. Some, of, some ideologies are a real response to great pain and confusion. And a legitimate attempt has been made to right wrongs and bring justice. But too often these attempts have been done without inviting the healer, Jesus Christ, into the equation. And if we keep standing on the outside and saying, rah, 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 they don't go anywhere near Jesus. There's too many groups of people that say, well, Christians are this and Christians are that and whatever. 
And the, the love of Christ doesn't even get anywhere near it. And yet it's the love of Christ that's going to bring healing. Some of the answers that have come forward, well, sometimes they're just not even sensible or likely to bring healing. When Christ is excluded from the equation, they will get an answer. It just won't be an effective answer. It is sinking sand as the parable goes. And when the waves come and the storm comes, the house will collapse. Let's have a look at this next slide. <coughs> this is an image that came to me in the middle of the night. Well, not the actual image. I went and got that off of deposit photos, but <laughs> the idea. A lighthouse. We're like a lighthouse, right? A lighthouse on the rock, particularly, is Jesus Christ. A lighthouse, you'll notice, doesn't speak. It shines. A lighthouse doesn't panic in the storm. It doesn't race off the rock trying to stop the storm. It just stands on the rock and it shines. The third thing it says there, and this is another quote, off the back of the toilet door at school. <laughs> stop trying to calm the storm. Calm yourself. The storm will pass. If we stand on Christ the solid rock, we need to be that beacon, lighthouse of hope and peace and joy in the midst of pain and brokenness. We don't need to hold up a placard outlining all the sins and faults just so everyone knows our position. Listen, folks, our position is in Christ. His grace and Holy Spirit, he'll sort out what needs sorting out in his own good time. We don't own the common spaces, this is a quote, so let us be good neighbours. We can have a sense of confidence and faith. Promote flourishing. Our posture should be one of generous confidence, always responding with grace. As I said before, there is no room you can walk into where Jesus is not Lord. Yes, our culture is stormy. It is. I'm not saying it's not. As a Christian whose life is built upon the rock as opposed to shifting sands, we stand firm in who Christ is and who he is in us. He is our safe harbour. And because of this, we are able to shine the light of his love. Now, Mark Sayers, now he was the bloke that actually wrote the book, Non-Anxious Presence, because I've been saying the word. And then I went and saw that the book was on my bedside table. I hadn't read it, but that's beside the point. Um, Mark Sayers wrote the book, A Non-Anxious Presence, and this is what he says. A worrisome introspection became normal as believers became more focused on their inner worlds than on a world to be reached with the gospel. In The Shepherd, we find a biblical model of leadership, a non-anxious presence, which is not dependent on the reserves of personal power, but on the presence of God, encountered in the wild places. The presence of God, people. The presence of God. We need to keep in sight. The next slide. We need to keep in sight, young people are parched. Now, this, this came from a, a study that was done by these people that I was listening to. They said Gen Z is more hungry for spiritual things than you would believe. Yes, not necessarily godly things. They're not necessarily chasing after Christ. Um, they are chasing after, you know, anything that's spiritual. Seances, ghosts, angels, whatever's going down. Now, despite the bad, bad publicity that sometimes actually is deserved, we actually do know where the living water can be found. Do you agree with that? 
Dr. Natasha Moore says, emotionally, people will credit Christianity as a value add if they can see flourishing. And this is the point. Flourish in the land of exile. You are not a victim. You are one of God's redeemed. These culture wars that we have spent too much time and energy on, trying to see territory won or lost, it's got to stop. The war that is fought is not of this world. Just as the zealots fought fiercely, shedding blood, and Jesus was running around, well not running, he was moving around sedately, um, he preached a different message. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, build the kingdom of God. That is the message, folk, that we carry. Build the message of God. So just in case you're worried, but I like to fight. Good, that's fine, because we're going to fight. Let's look at the last slide. For our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're going to fight, folks. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and, ev and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When there's, there's been a lot of stuff going on in South Australia, at least. I mean, it's all calm and peaceful over here in Victoria, no doubt. But stuff's going on. And we, uh, I often say to people, I say, just hang on a sec, what's going on up here? Because, you know, we're all, oh, this and ooh, that, and, ooh, everything's turning to cusswood and going sideways. Um, what is going on up here? There is a spiritual battle on, folks. And as um, Pastor Nick would have preached to you today if I'd let him, <laughs> he would have made you aware that Halloween is coming up in uh, about a week or a short period of time. And though it's seen as a fun exercise for kiddies and, you know, it's all fun and games, we actually do know that it's also a time of great spiritual activity that is focused not on the Spirit of God but on spirit guides and other things where we know where the source comes from. Yeah, this is spiritual war going on. What are we doing about it? I did write here, I, I woke up this morning, I couldn't even get my eyes open. I thought, but I'll quickly write it down. This is our challenge. When it is so easy to be full of the fear, anxiety or rage of this world, we need to instead be full of the Spirit of God. So what is it that we're feeding our spirit with? 24-7 new, news cycles are just awesome. You'll hear one thing from one and you'll hear another thing from another and who knows what the actual truth is. I mean, you've got to make yourself aware to some extent, but you've got to take it all with a pinch of salt and be aware that it doesn't matter if this one says this and this one says that. In the middle there, there is people who are suffering. There are people who are broken. And it's not our job to say, oh, rah-rah here or rah-rah there. Our job is to shine the light of Christ and if, that is, if we have opportunity to be active in that, if we've got an ability to be actually active, then be active. If we haven't, then let, let's, um, let's pray at all times. Remember, our war isn't against people. And musicians, you can come back because we're going to sing a song in a sec. Our war isn't against people. It's not about winning an argument. 
with someone else. And get this, it's not about trumping somebody on social media. I'm no good at that anyway. It's about challenging those things in the spiritual realm, in the spirit of God, that he will tear down the arguments that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. I'll give you a couple of examples, these sorts of arguments that he wants to tear down. There, there's an argument out there that you don't need a saviour. Well, that is just a lie. There's another argument out there that says you can save yourself. Well, friends, that is just a lie. There's an argument that says I need to do what is best for me without thought of anybody else, once again. That's not always the truth. These battles are ones you have in prayer, yielding to the Spirit of God, posturing ourselves in prayer and fasting with our faces turned towards Jesus. Like, I'm really good at fasting, actually not. <laughs> I fast food for <clears throat> up until about lunchtime, then I'm on the floor in a fetal position saying, I can't, I can't do anything. So I actually fast, I actually fast TV and social media and chocolate. Well, that's a start. But anyway, it's about turning your heart and in, in, in posturing yourself in prayer towards him and allowing the spirit of God. So I'm going to, I, I apologise to the musicians behind me because I threw this at them at the last minute. It's a song, it's, it's one that's being sung around at the moment. It's called I Speak Jesus. And it's a prayer. It's a prayer song. And I'm going to ask us uh, to stand and to sing this together um, and to begin to speak the words that come, uh, to, to sing the words. It's not too hard to get a hold of if you haven't heard of it before. Um, but in praise and worship in this prayer, allow these words to connect with an idea in your heart because you know this morning of people that are broken you know this morning of people that are hurting of people that are suffering of injustice that is happening I know you know because it's everywhere and as we stand this morning um, and uh, you know if if you don't know the song just look at the words and allow them to engage with your heart in prayer but if you can pick it up let the words come into your mouth and let us begin to sing life into these things, into prayer, into the spiritual atmosphere. We need to be the non-anxious presence, allowing God's presence, cultivating it in us and to shine as a beacon in all that we do, how we react, how we love, how we serve. So stand with me this morning and the thing we're going to do is we're going to fight in a funny way. We're going to sing fight, sing fight. Have you done that before? We're going to do it now. We're going to sing fight. Put those things in your heart as we begin to sing this song and let's speak Jesus over those things. Hallelujah. Just one to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. 
Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. Jesus, we want to speak you into the shadows. We want to speak you over these things. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by depression. I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Hallelujah, Lord. Break every strong. Jesus, we come against the strongholds. The set up against you. Father, we come against them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountain. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Think about it now. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name of Jesus. Shout it from the mountains. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Your name. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is Speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. Hallelujah. 